Good evening, everyone. I'm Ajay Ramasubramaniam, co-founder and CEO at Hindsight Ventures. Welcome to the 10th episode of Founders 52. We'll be joined, we'll be joined by our, our guest for today, Tunde Balogun of Small Small, uh, as, a, as a speaker, as the entrepreneur that we are talking to today. Uh, allow us a few minutes while other people join in. Uh, we'll be on hold and we'll start soon. Thank you. All right. Good evening, everyone. I'm Ajay Ramasubramaniam, co-founder and CEO of Hindsight Ventures. Welcome to the 10th episode of Founders 52. Just seems like yesterday we, we started this series of conversation with entrepreneurs building in Africa for Africa, and we are already on to our, our 10th guest. Before we jump into the conversation with, with Tunde, let me give a very quick introduction to who we are and, and what is Founders 52 all about. Hindsight Ventures is an Africa-focused startup accelerator where we work with founders building in Africa for Africa. We have been around close to a couple of years. We have operated close to 14 different cohorts. Uh, essentially, we have been running pre-accelerators and boot camps in, in partnership with, with organizations as diverse as governments, development finance institutions, corporates, and our, and our own branded programs. So far, about 184 companies have been through our, our multiple programs. Several of them have gone on to successfully raise venture money, scale within the continent, and, and go international. Uh, through our programs, one thing that we focus on is, 
is access to, to global pool of mentors, Enterprise Connects, and we close down our programs with a, with a grand demo day, which gives access to, to founders, to investors who either have an Africa thesis or are based in Africa and investing in, in African entrepreneurs. As a company, while we are headquartered in, in India and go by Startup Rezo, operating programs in, in multiple continents, Hindsight Ventures was carved out a few years back dedicatedly as, as an accelerator focusing on African entrepreneurs building in Africa for Africa. Uh, with that, I would like to now talk about Founders 52. A few months back, when we started looking at the at the network of entrepreneurs that we have in the continent and the awesome work that, that they're doing, one thing that uh, struck a chord with Jagruti, who's my co-founder and, and I, was that how can we tell interesting stories of entrepreneurs who have been there, done that? And when I talk of being there, done that, it's not just about raising a series of uh, venture capital rounds, but also success stories, which could include expanding into new markets, making that pivot, which allows the company to scale and getting into international accelerator programs, which provides the, the necessary visibility, which not all entrepreneurs may have at, at all times. And that's when we thought about Founders 52. Uh, and as the name suggests, it's about bringing founders to narrate, talk about their stories, about their journey. And 52 is the, the number of weeks in a year. So every week on, on Wednesday evening, 9 p.m. East Africa time, we interview a founder or rather have a freewheeling conversation with the founder talking about their journey, uh, why they are doing what they're doing, uh, what, is this, what, is, what is their journey of, of building the venture been like, uh, what are some of the thing, interesting things that they have, they have gone through over the period of time that they're building their venture. And the simple reason for us to do this is because we believe that each one of us, when we wake up in the morning, we have an idea. Uh, so in that way, everyone is is entrepreneurial. But how many of us go on to pursue our, our passion? How many of us have a belief in in the idea and, and actually go on to build it is is what differentiates someone who is who is an entrepreneur and someone who, who is an idea smith or an ideator. We want many of the idea smiths and ideators to become entrepreneurs, build ventures, create jobs, solve problems. And that's why uh, Founders 52 is, is something that we have put together as a medium to get entrepreneurs to encourage and motivate entrepreneurs to, to build. So with that, I'd like to welcome our our founder for the day, uh, Tunde Balogun, who's co-founder and CEO of Small Small. Tunde, welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And it was interesting to to meet you in, in Toronto a couple of weeks back. And what I'd like to start off the conversation with is everything which is big starts off small. So by having the name of the company as small, small, I think you've ticked off that box that you're going to build something big. <laughs> yes, uh, oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, the name itself, um, when, when, when people hear small, small, uh, it's always in the state of, oh, what is like, small small that's very unique um but it just speaks to um like building bit by bit um nobody um has it on nothing in this life uh starts one day and become everything it's supposed to be in one day right it is a process uh so small small in in literal term just means bit by bit, by bit or little by little uh, and it's a popular term in in largely West Africa, where we say it, it's a lingual kind of or small small. Yeah. So that, that's really what the, the name is about. No, yes. I, I think in 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 all all different cultures, different parts of the world, I think there would be something which is uh, equivalent to what you what you just said. And and I think 
it's it's very important to to focus on small things or or the smaller aspects or the minute aspect and process like you said if you're looking at solving mm-hmm. for something big so so great so so today before we talk about small small and many other interesting things related to small small if you can if you can tell our audience so there are few people who join founders 52 live but we put it up on our spotify channel and that is where we get maximum views and for our viewers to to know a little bit more about tunde the guy uh, rather than just tunde the founder of small small can you tell us a bit bit more about yourself about your background what did you study what were you doing before you set up small small oh, okay sure uh so um i i mean i'm nigerian um i was born in nigeria i've lived uh outside of i lived outside of nigeria for well over a decade before i moved back to nigeria in 2015 um i've been privileged to travel around the world uh europe asia america um and that has really exposed me and lived in in some of these continents which has really shaped my world view um i studied uh for my undergrad i studied international business management um and then for my i did mba uh, still business so i've kind of been i grew up in a business family both uh, parents um uh, were business people and um that's to a large extent influenced um my flair for business um but i think a lot of it also came from just you know wanting to be, solve problems uh, from a very young age and just really seeing problem any problem as it's solvable um so that's i mean i my i the last country i lived before i moved back to nigeria was thailand you know asia so and i had a blast living in asia i spent uh, over 5 years in thailand um the first successful business um real estate business i i started was started in thailand where we were managing luxury properties um you know and that just kind of gave gave me uh, some background some foundation to uh, what i do today uh, because uh, it set me up uh, uh, that was my you know stepping stone for getting into or fully embracing real estate as something i wanted to do and seeing how much of impact i could have in the housing space you know and having a very robust uh, understanding and overview of housing in general um so moving back to nigeria you know um, i i that i just took it to to the next level uh from there so i think that is generally <laughs> uh speaking um you know uh, about me i'm in my mid 30s so i'm still a very young guy um what else is there to know about me? so you have 30 you have, yeah, you have, yeah, at, least, you have at least 30 more years that you're going to be disrupting the world if you're in your mid 30s and if once someone becomes an entrepreneur there's no way they're going to a a 9 to 5 kind of a gig so the world can expect tunde to to innovate and build for at least next three decades or probably retire sooner but tunde i mean from what you said in your introduction there are three things you spoke yeah. about being born in a business family you spoke about living yeah. abroad and and doing your mba and the third thing yes. uh, right before you started small small you spent five years in in southeast southeast asia in in thailand amongst these three things yes. which is which according to you is most influential uh, towards tunde the founder don't tell me it is the mba because that would be heartbreaking but which one is the most influential in mm-hmm. you becoming a businessman or a founder which one 
which one? I think they all contribute in a way, but I think the one that was really um, most influential of the three was actually living in Thailand. Yeah. Like, because living in Thailand, I mean, I could have lived or I could be living anywhere at that point. But sometimes they say you go look for opportunity and sometimes opportunity comes looking for mm -hmm. you, you know. Um, and I think small, small, uh, in a way, was me looking for opportunity. Whereas the first real estate company uh, I started was opportunity looking for me. So, uh, and that's why I'll give it to my life in Thailand. Um, in as much as, again, like I said, every bit, I mean, we're all a kind of a puzzle there, in a way, in how we live life or how, you know, uh, the things we end up doing. Um, you know, seeing my parents do their own thing and seeing how much of freedom and, and all of that to a way opened me up. But um, I, I think I had to, I had my own part also uh, in life where I had to figure things out for myself, where I had to really ch uh, chart my own course. And in so doing, and that one of the reasons why, that was actually one of the reasons why I lived in Thailand. I was traveling and I just wanted to be in a place where, um, you know, I will be all by myself. I can really make decisions for myself. I can really, really uncover myself, you know, and what I want to do in life, you know. And um, um, that's why, you know, I'll give it to just my life in Thailand and the kind of people I was surrounded with. And then just opportunity, you know, um, opening, knocking at the door and then me embracing that opportunity and then that opportunity becoming something that actually, you know, set me up for, you know, the passion or the line of field I'm in right now. So, Tunde, you, you mentioned a very interesting thing. Uh, instead of going chasing for the opportunity, uh, opportunity knocking at your door. But I think in, in many of the cases, you, you actually need to, to have a, a kind of foresight or, or a thought process. When, because a lot of times, opportunity comes knocking at the door and it, it can come in different shapes and forms. Right? But for you to yeah. actually recognize yeah. it, and, and see it as an opportunity and embrace it. If you can talk a little bit about that journey of yours, what, what was that, okay. what yeah, was that, that aha right. moment or eureka moment where you, okay. you could actually kind of sense that opportunity and, and embrace it? Okay, uh, definitely. It's a beautiful story that I think I like to share because uh, it just speaks to you how life can be really defining when we really you know set ourselves or we open ourselves up to, to life. Um, so I was building another startup. I had another idea that I was being building, which was Swapta. So Swapta.com was the platform. So what were the whole idea around Swapta was where people can trade goods, services, what just about anything, almost like trade, trade by battle, right? Um, and um, I, this idea came when I was in university where uh, every semester I needed to buy um, new textbook for every new year uh, and these textbooks are very expensive and I just don't think they were best and the one I bought the previous semester I mean you had used it and they you you know almost the chances that you're going to use it again I um, mean it's very slim so for me at that point I was just like I have very limited resources I can't be wasting money buying all this textbook every new semester and after the semester is over that's it so that was where I the idea of like, okay, how about a platform where I can, you know, I can find other people that need this textbook um, that I've used, that I've spent money to buy, and then possibly they have these textbooks that I need to buy or course book I need to buy uh, for the next semester. And then just kind of see 
how far that could go in, um, you know, in services, in, in just about. So we spent about a year trying to build that. Um, and in the process of doing that, I mean, that was one of the first lessons I learned as an, as an entrepreneur where, uh, or building a startup. Don't spend too much time. Don't try to figure everything out from, from scratch. You know, don't try to, you know, have your MVP as quickly as possible, getting in the, into the market, let people start engaging with it and just build on that. But um, because I wasn't really harmed with that experience, uh, we wanted to really build a, you know, off the shelf product that everything was ready. We're having new ideas of um, what we could do or how, what we could add. And we're trying to build everything on this, you know, <laughs> product or, uh, and just make sure it's like the most beautiful thing in the world, you know. And by the time, at the end of one year, my business partner, my co-founder was already tired. He, you know, something else came up for him and he had moved on. But because it was my own baby, you know, I had the idea, I shared it with him. I mean, we decided to do it together. So I was still kind of, you know, trying to get it off. You know, and then in the process of doing that, someone came to me. Um, in I was a part, I was part of a community, and the person had just mentioned to me that oh, I had a friend who has a villa in Phuket. Phuket is one of the beautiful islands in Thailand. That oh, uh, is 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 Singaporean. He's based in Singapore, and he's not doing anything with the villa. Uh, could you help manage it and rent it out? Um, you know, and possibly earn passive income from it. I was like, okay, sure, I, I could do it. Uh, why not? And I did that. I, I, I listed the property on different platforms and uh, the property was around, I think, about $1,000 per night. And within three months, it was really doing very well. You know, and I will fly from Bangkok because I was based in Bangkok, right? I'll fly from Bangkok to Phuket to just check on, you know, um, guests and, and just make sure everything is fine. And immediately had this moment of, okay, this could actually be big. I could turn this one property to hundreds of properties, you know, and um, so that was one of my haha moments uh, where I had this. Okay, I could actually make this to become something, you know, uh, and I, it was really giving me good passive income. So that was how I was able to speak with this same person that gave me uh, this opportunity and said, I mean, the guy was in his fifties, you know, American. I was like, I think there's something here. That you know, this was I think 2012, yeah, about 2012, yeah. I, I see something here. How about we do it together? And the guy was like, "Okay, sure, why not?" So we partnered, we became partners, and that was how we founded Unique Edge Management. Uh, within the first year, we had onboarded about 200 luxury properties, villas, you know, luxury apartments, and we did about 200 thousand dollars in revenue in the first year, you know, and. That really, I mean, I, I learned hospitality, you know, um, I just, there was so much I learned in that process. And it was just, uh, so one of the biggest lessons, again, I learned, I kind of, my takeaway from all of that experience was that being flexible. As, as an entrepreneur, we have to be flexible uh, and not to boxed up that, oh, it's this thing and it has to be this thing. You know, uh, I think it's important that we prioritize. Uh, we stay with it, but at the same time, be flexible enough to when other opportunities come knocking and when you can, you know, at least sense that there's something there and you give it a try and then it ends up becoming um, something big or setting you up for the next level. For me, uh, it, it's, it was that thing that gave me uh, 
a good, I mean, I, be, I made good money that allowed me to say, okay, I'm moving back to Nigeria, um, you know, um, to want to do more in real estates uh, because I felt like there's, there's more I could do in terms of impact, you know, um, and that impact for me was moving back home. So it wasn't like, oh, because I've made some money. No, it was more of like, there's more. And, and I, I, I knew that more for me was being in, in the country of birth where there's so much problem um, that I, I feel like I could throw myself in. And even though I didn't really know what all that um, would be, I didn't know that. I knew that housing was the thing for me. God, I, I mean, I had from child from childhood, I've always had a flair for real estate. I've always had a flair for um, interior architecture and all of that. But it really never became anything until I had that um, moment with my first real estate company that just kind of gave me, reminded me of all my childhood aspiration and, you know, uh, flair for real estate that kind of morphed up into, okay, I love real estate. I love housing. I want to do more and, you know, yeah. Thank, thank you for that. I, I picked four points in, in this. Uh, one is kind of being truly passionate about something. Right, because like like you said, or how you concluded, uh, you you really knew that this was your calling. This was something real estate as a domain, something that that you wanted to do. I think passion is very important for for any entrepreneur who is who's tuning in, who is listening to this conversation. I think do not kind of uh, be a copycat entrepreneur, which means that just because someone else is doing something and they have succeeded in one way or the other in your eyes, either someone has raised money, someone is being talked about, don't do it because you see someone getting famous for it, but rather be passionate about a particular line of business, which is, which is number one. The second thing was, uh, I think uh, that's why staying in, in different cultural environments or different countries, it, it's, uh, it, it adds a lot of character for a lot of, for lack of words. So like, like you mentioned Trunde, I mean, while you were in, in, in Thailand and uh, I mean, many of the countries in, in Southeast Asia are beautiful places to, to stay, build a career, build ventures and whatnot. But knowing that this is an experience I'm gathering so that I can go back home because I, I belong there or that is where I can solve uh, at a, at a, in a better way or a better pace. I think being able to kind of correlate relate that because a lot of times uh, either by, by virtue of education in a in an international market working in an international market you can actually get best of both worlds while you belong to a particular country or a particular region getting exposed or getting out of that that place uh, it kind of gives you uh, perspective it kind of gives you new to new tools so that it, it makes you better at going back home and building something uh, the the first two things that you spoke about i think it's it's very critical for for any entrepreneur one is uh, to not box your thoughts. Uh, there is no one way of, of doing things. Uh, but as an entrepreneur, you you always need to be be flexible. I mean, even when you talk to investors, when you talk to to, to folks from the industry, if you're if you're an entrepreneur, they, they they keep talking about pivot, they keep talking about the plan B, the plan C, whatnot. As an entrepreneur, if you're if you're very rigid and you're not open to making those iterations, those pivots, or the plan B. Uh, covid is a is a classical example i mean businesses which failed to to make that that pivot or that shift during covid uh, they died uh, because they thought that there was only one way of doing business and and covid taught us all mm-hmm. uh, that there are different ways and and digital and consumer behavior keeps changing so if you're not able to adapt to your consumers requirements uh, your business is bound to fail 
and the fourth one which was actually the the first one that you that you spoke about is build fast which also means you should try and fail fast but build fast and and roll out the first version the moment you keep waiting to have a perfect product you're not an entrepreneur probably you're a researcher or a scientist and that's why i mean scientists and, and researchers they they keep perfecting because they never get satisfied they they want that 0.001% of further uh, perfection because otherwise i mean uh, scientists and and researchers could probably be the the research, richest people in the world but unfortunately they are not mm-hmm. because they are focusing more on on perfecting their their research or proving their their theorems and what not rather than building businesses so as an entrepreneur i think it's very important that you that you build fast you build the version 1 you build that mvp and put the product out and the audience or the or the target group that you're going after decides what it wants and then you kind of add mm-hmm. those features or improve your product because there is no product which is perfect so i think all four of these mm-hmm. are are very important takeaways for anyone who is listening to this conversation and if you're looking at building a venture so whether it is not waiting for perfection whether it is it is kind of not kind of uh being open to to pivots uh embracing uh, embracing the calling that you spoke about i mean sitting in thailand doing business in the in the real estate space but knowing that hey i need to take back learnings and go back home and and build this i think all of these are are beautiful kind of uh, anecdotes from you in terms of how and and where you kind of got started but i think uh, for even if it was not for small small uh, for any entrepreneur to 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 imbibe this or to learn from this there is this massive takeaways so so thank you for that yeah, uh, you. sharing that from there thank you coming to to small small itself uh, you you spoke at length about when or what was the 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 aha moment or the or the or the eureka moment what were some of the the teething troubles that you found when you when you looked at launching or building rent small small as it was known back then or small small today uh, coming back home to to nigeria Oh okay um so it's it's been a very very interesting journey um building small small because i mean moving back home in 2015 all um so two challenges immediately i was confronted with two challenges right um first i'd saved up money that i wanted to buy like a small condo like a studio apartment or one bedroom apartment and and even before i moved back i'd sent my you know um siblings to just go around and and try and get something for me um but they couldn't find um like studio or one bedroom like for all those compact smaller spaces um uh, so what they were find the market was uh was um saturated with like 3 4 5 bedrooms 6 bedrooms that that's what you see everywhere so you don't have like a starter home like a studio or one bedroom right uh, and um i didn't have the money for such um you know and i'm a single and then i was a single guy i didn't need a 3 or 4 or 5 bedroom i just all the years i lived abroad i lived in a very functional studio one bedroom apartment which right very very functional so that immediately i, I was that was the first shocker and when i came back in 2015 when i moved back in 2015 i i went around myself trying to look for and i couldn't find you know so that immediately just told me that okay they did there's a problem there right and then i was like, okay since i can't buy let me rent uh and in the process of trying to rent was when i was faced with the second shocker which was 
um, I had to pay the rent one, two years upfront, you know, um, and that was the norm. Landlords collect their rent one, two years upfront. And I was like, oh my, all the years I lived abroad, I, I was paying my rent monthly. So how are people surviving, especially young people? So I started, I mean, that just kind of created this, a bit of subtle anger and on, on, anger and anger in a way. It's a subtle one. So I started talking to people, just trying to understand why this existed and, you know, why are we not solving for it? And, you know, I started, I mean, I had some mentors also, like, uh, who I engaged and were in the real estate space. And, you know what, so it was obvious to me that, okay, this was it. So that's why I said, sometimes you, opportunity comes knocking and sometimes you go looking for, you know, the opportunity. Um, so in this case, it, it was me, you know, going back home, wanting to um, have an impact in my country, uh, already having a background in real estate and still wanted to do in that, something in that space, but not knowing what it, it was, but then taking my own challenges uh, and then turning the, those around to, you know, starting. So we, out of the two, so it was obvious that this was housing problem in Nigeria. I mean, there are so many other things I could talk about around the, you know, the issues around housing challenges in Nigeria and in a lot of African countries. Um, but um, they, when we decided that, okay, let's start with rental, let's go, we kind of say, okay, which one is the most that it looks like will not be tasked, um, not that is, uh, that gives a lesser barrier in terms of entry and that also immediately addresses people's need. And it was obvious that rental, because everybody starts their uh, housing journey, renting. Uh, by the time you move out of your parents' house or, you know, whatever it is, you most likely will start by renting. So that was where we decided to start from. Uh, and all we just wanted to solve was um, the, um, the possibility for people to pay their rent monthly, just being able to pay your rent monthly. But then when we started, we realized that, okay, <laughs> there, was, uh, there were bigger problems we needed to to, to deal with, you know, um, the real estate market is a traditional market, um, largely, um, you know, you can't just come in and say you want to solve one thing, especially when it's still very, um, you know, very traditional and hasn't, um, you know, uh, been open to, um, you know, innovation and anything like that. So we started seeing um, you know, facility management problem, property management problem, you know, just very traditional problems in the space um, that people are really not, that's making it very, very um, uncomfortable and bad experience for people. And it became obvious that we can't solve our, the problem we wanted to solve for, which is the ease of payment. We can't really solve that problem if we are not attending to other issues. So it now be, became a bigger problem for us that we it's even almost impossible for us to solve the main problem we wanted to solve for without first going through other challenges. Uh, and I mean, we, 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 we didn't even, we weren't thinking about it that when we were going through it, it was almost like you enter a market, you are seeing the problem, you were the problems were coming at you and you there's no time to think of, Oh, I, I, is this what I signed up for? 
but rather you were immediately putting yourself into a place of okay let's solve whatever it takes we are in this already we're solving for it um what are the solutions what do we need to do so that was what it was for it was later that we now started reflecting or when it it really became a compounded thing that uh, we now said well we didn't sign up for this like this is our big uh, of a market we we are in this is our our big of challenges we are dealing with but we are in it already uh, and um so but the beautiful thing about all of this experience is that it helped us or it has helped us have a better understanding about the market about the problem about the customers and i think um I, I, I bet to say that I don't think there's anyone in the space, in the prop tech space uh, right now in Nigeria that has as, as much grounded understanding as we do because we didn't play at the surface. We, we really went to the foundation of, you know, the challenges um, in, the, in the rental space, first of all, which now opened us to, you know, how do we need to tackle the problem, uh, which is one of the reasons why we rebranded last year from Rent Small Small to Small Small, and Rent Small Small became a product, and then we introduced Buy Small Small, which was a product, which is a product that allows, allows us to create, give access to housing. Um, you know, we need to create new type of landlords. We need to create new types of properties that can, at scale, influence how rental is done in in the modern age uh, i'm completely moving away from the traditional way i think that's that's something which is very interesting that you that you say uh Tunde. and and just to add to that if you look at the the global south south right from south america to to south and southeast asia and everything else in in between which includes Africa as a continent, India as a country, the, the Indian subcontinent and, and all of that. I think one thing which is common is that uh, all of the, the, UN, the UN-designated Global South-South is, is densely populated. That is one. And second is there is a lot of migration happening within the country from mm-hmm. from semi-urban or, or rural uh, cities and towns to the, the main centers. So in Nigeria, it would be a city like Lagos, uh, similarly, if you look at uh, some of the, the other countries, there, there would be at least a, a capital city or a city where everyone is coming to to live their dreams or to find job opportunities and and, and doing all of that. Uh, a lot of young people want to want to live in, in busy, fast-paced cities as well. And that's definitely going to, to create or put pressure on the housing market. And it is no surprise that if you, if you were to look at the the housing or the real estate market, uh, it is probably the the most uh, traditional or the non-digitized uh, sector, if you were to say. I mean, right from uh, the paperwork which goes into stamp duty or uh, contracting or renting out a property. If you're buying, then you'll do a stamp stamp duty or a deed document or or whatever to paying taxes. Everything can be digitized, but unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is there is a lot of lot of loopholes and and lot of loopholes because it is not digitized, so it's mm-hmm. a huge space to disrupt. And when but when one thinks of of prop tech, one wouldn't think that there is someone sitting out there in Lagos disrupting prop tech or or real estate uh, in Nigeria or building. I mean, this is something that you can scale across the continent and probably it can go to 
to several other continents which exhibit similar characters to to what you're seeing in Lagos right now or in Nigeria. Isn't that right? Yeah, that, that's correct. It's not just so housing is a basic human need, and when you look at how housing is or the state of housing in Africa, um, there are only just handful of countries that kind of um, that are on the right track. Um, a lot, most of these these handful countries are mostly Southern African countries, like South Africa, uh, Tanzania, and the likes. But when you look at East Africa, Central Africa, um, you know, North Africa and, 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 the, and West Africa, which is where Nigeria, Cameroon, Ghana, um, you know, the problem is even bigger in West Africa compared to, you know, um, you know, other parts of Africa. But when you look at all of these parts of Africa, it's a bigger problem and bigger market generally. And one thing I always say is housing is a basic human need, um, yeah. you know. And if we are not solving for basic human need, then it means that we are creating a bigger problem, uh, not just for individual, but for the society at large. You know, a lot gets, oh, it, there's always a lot of conversation around food, you know, hunger, um, you know, um, hunger, uh, food shortage and all of that up to like WT, um, you know, WTO, IMF and United Nations and all of that. Uh, but I don't think housing gets enough attention as much as because they are both basic human whether we like it yes food might be less costly because you can for 500 uh, for one dollar or less or you can get you can put something in your stomach but for one dollar you might not be put you might not be able to put a roof over your head so the cost for housing might be slightly higher or maybe not slightly maybe higher than food and and, and because of that it doesn't get enough attention uh, 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 as much, but we, if we are looking at it from that from that um, from that perspective, then we miss it because a basic human need is a basic human need, and when we are not solving for it to ensure that um, there's adequate housing, there's functional housing, and um, we remove all the friction and barrier that makes housing inaccessible for for people, then whether we like it or not, any country is going to have a, a bigger problem to deal with down the line. It's, it's going to it's, it's end up becoming a time bomb. And I think that's the case in Nigeria, a population of 200, over 200 million, uh, projected to be the third largest population in the world by 2050. And we are not doing so much around housing. People still have to pay one, two years upfront. You know, um, getting access to buying your own home, uh, home ownership penetration in Nigeria, mortgage penetration in Nigeria is less than 1%. You know, home ownership rate in Nigeria is is about 10% compared to other parts of the world like Romania that has 95% home ownership rate. You know, um, the largest home ownership rate in Africa is like South African countries, um, like South Africa. I think South Africa has about uh, close to 40-something, 50-something percent home ownership rate, um, you know, compared to a lot of West African countries. So, yes, for what you said, it, it's a big market out there in Africa. Um, we are doing our bit right now, and um, we believe that we are um, preparing ourselves for scale, um, just as we really, really uh, solve the problem for from the foundation, just because it's a very traditional space we are sp playing in. Uh, it's not a marathon. Uh, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon in a way because there are a lot of components that we need to understand and and kind of prepare ourselves for and build for. Um, but we are doing that that now, and that will just allow us to eventually eventually have the kind of speed uh, we need to have in order to have a broader reach in the market. No, it's it's very interesting, and and some of the things that you that you mentioned in the in the 
the longish kind of uh, answer or or what you spoke about i think getting early into a market uh, is is like a double edged sword sometimes when you get early into the market and there are no takers uh you you feel dejected disappointed or no one like really understands what you're building because of which the company goes nowhere the other side of it or the flip side of it is that you enter early but you actually are the you're actually developing the market or making the market and as you do that what happens is exactly what you said you realize that the opportunity is much 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 bigger than what you actually got in for and yeah. that can either throw you away because the journey of 0 to 1 is is unique the 1 to 10 is a different one but mm-hmm. the, the 10 to 100 is a, is a very different journey and mm-hmm. not everyone is is equipped or has the courage to to do the so many of us would do the 0 to 1 many of us would probably take the the 1 to 10 but if you are at the 0 to 1 and you realize that this is not just a 0 to 1 or like you said it's not a a relay it's not a sprint but it's a relay race a marathon all of that put together a triathlon all of that and the journey is a 0 to 1000 either you shut shop and go away or you realize mm-hmm. that this is much bigger and i definitely want to do this right mm-hmm. so who are who are the people on your side who who did you start building rent small small with and and what was their uh, objective of of joining the ride or Uh, did did you all kind of think of it together or what was what was that who are your co-founders or founding founding members okay so great i, I think one of the biggest blessing uh, we enjoy at small small today is the people um that i ended up co-founding the company with right um i i think yes i'm i'm a very resilient person i like to uh take on mountains uh i think i like to live for something so the bigger the problem is the 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 monga i um i have to want to ask more well, as long as i know that there is um there is um, what's it called there is um all at the end of the tunnel or how how does the saying go you know uh, even though it might not be clear might not be clear but you have this inclination you have this gut that there's something at the end of this and it's it's not just that something is not just how much money you could make but the impact uh, and that impact it's no one that you have to wait um 20 40 years uh, every step you take every day you are seeing the impact when we have a new tenant that is able to pay their rent monthly uh, and they come t- and get excited and tell us how uh, how you know resourceful or how much of impact we are having in their life by just democratizing this for them it's very fulfilling so 1 2 3 i mean now we've done hundreds you know about a thousand of such on that rent small small uh, and that is just you know very very encouraging uh, for me so personally i i think yes i have the drive the resilience the desire and all of that but then um there's just so much you could do on your own you know um i'm just i'm just me All right so um that's why i say one of the blessings that we've enjoyed as a company and i have enjoyed um you know in leading this you know entity is the co-founders that i brought in uh to 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 work with me and um i mean yes we didn't start it together um from the ideation you know um but very early on like within the first um i think within the first one year of even just um uh, putting the product to the idea together putting the the business together um 
testing the the idea in the market and all of that, I was able to um, find my co-founders um, and, and bring them. So I have two co-founders. I have Peter, who is our CTO, um, you know, referred by a good friend. Um, you know, Prida has um, several, um, many years um, experience in just being jack of all trades in terms of, you know, technology. He's a UIUS guy, you know, you know um, he's a technical guy in terms of um, coding, programming and all of that engineering. Yeah. And um, he, he freelanced for many years. So and he's a very down to heart guy. Like he is one guy that you say, Peter, this is what we want to do. And he's really, he's ready to run, jump on it with you and run with you, uh, you on it. And I think one of the, the, the interesting bits about him is that as much as he has a very broad experience uh, and could, uh, is very resourceful in, 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 a, in a very broad way, he's also a person of passion. So you could easily lose people like Peter if the project or what you are working on is doesn't carry weight and is doesn't carry impact. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm grateful that um, you know he, he, from day one he saw the impact, he saw the weight of what we are trying to solve, and he, he bought into it until today. He's still with us, and we are still doing it together. You know, my other co-founder is our, our CEO, um, Naomi. You know, Naomi, again, interesting. I mean, from a very well-to-do family, a family business, you know, um, you know, studied abroad and, and all of that. And just looking for someone who is very, very hands-on. Uh, and I mean, I knew Naomi from, you know, they, a community that was part of a church community, and, um, you know, uh, and we just kind of knew from a distance and I've heard about her and the things, the type, kind of things she was doing. I was like, I need someone who'd, who could roll their sleeves and be able to, we could do this together. So talking to approaching Naomi was, I mean, when I initially had the idea of, you know, talking to him and bringing him on board, I shared it with someone who, you know, who was almost like the first advisor I had uh, for Small Small, who also knew her. And the person was like, are you sure she'll be able to give up everything she was doing just to join this company that, or this business that is just about to start, or that is just starting out? You know, so the person couldn't believe or would, would just not believe that she could actually let go of everything she was doing, you know? And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And I reached out to her, we met, I told her about what, I, I was doing and how I want her to come on board, you know, to be my co-founder. And I also made it clear from the one that you coming on board meant that um, you're not going to continue doing what you're doing um, because um, what we are solving for is really going to be a challenging one. And I need people that will be fully committed. And this is what you are getting in return. This is what is in it for you, you know? So she said, okay, she would think about it. She thought about it, got back to me, I think within um, a week or so and was already sold and was ready to come on board. And we've together now we've been at it for, you know, close to five years together. Very cool. So it's it's equally important to to find the the right set of people who who complement what you bring to the table, but are equally kind of passionate about uh, about building and and solving for for a large uh, I wouldn't call it a problem statement, but but a large opportunity uh, and and doing it together. I think it's 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 very important. I mean, a lot of times 
having co-founders who bring kind of uh, different skill sets but also the the shared passion i think it it goes a long way uh, in in building successful companies so glad that you have those those folks on 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 your side so coming to my my next question because i i see that the conversation is an interesting one but we are capping it at at an hour so i probably mm. just got like couple more questions so today i mean we first interacted uh, at at the at the techstars program and yes. if you are if you want to share with uh, with our audience given that you you had a, a diverse background you 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 come from a family of of business people you've lived and studied abroad you've worked in in emerging markets in in southeast asia there are a lot of things uh, that that kind of contribute uh in your journey to to building small small how and where does uh, techstars come in why did you apply into an accelerator what are the takeaways that you had from a program like techstars okay good question so um i'll be very um you know brief with this um we we when we started in 20 um we officially launched in 2018 um but the old journey started in 2017 right um we applied to techstars in 2018 and uh we didn't get in i mean we applied to other accelerators as well and the feedback wasn't I mean, positive and one one of the thing i told my co-founders then um uh, was that let's not um you know get too consumed by the fact that we 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 haven't gotten into any accelerator or we were we were, we were rejected um uh, rather let's you know they say find opportunity in disaster not disaster in opportunity right so let's turn all of this rejection let's turn it into investing in what we are building and making it something um i mean the chances of somebody rejecting something that looks like a success is very slim you know it's when people don't really don't really know what your make of made of rather or what where you're going that they kind of um start playing guess game or you know thinking should we give you a chance should we not give you a chance but when you've already shown some level of success which in in the startup world we call traction you know um then i mean it becomes an attraction in a way uh, to want to um for people to want to offer accelerator to say okay this guy seems like they have something and they're going somewhere and, and all of that so instead of just feeling rejected and you know feeling like oh there's nothing that could come out of this we invested our energy and our time into actually getting traction uh, for for the business and um, that attraction became something big in 2021 when we launched um by small small when we initially um like tested or or um iterated with the idea of by small small uh, which took our numbers to a all new level and with all of that together all the traction and some level of success we we already have um textas um someone mentioned us to textas uh, and then um the md of textas toronto reached out to to me on linkedin and said oh i heard about your startup um you know i want us to jump on a call blah 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 so we jumped on a call and sh- you know shared everything with him and i was like okay yes um i love what you guys are doing i loved what you built um i think i want to have you in this co- my next cohort um complete the application and blah 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 so that was how we got into um textas and even before we got um you know after that call with him it was now a thing of um at this point is this what we need since we already have some traction uh we already have 
something going for us already? Um, is this needed? You know, uh, and then I spoke with, you know, one or two people about it and they were like, oh, go for an accelerator. It's going to really help you. It's going to put you on the map, um, expose you to new mentors. You know, um, it's going to help with your, when you're raising and blah, blah, blah. So um, I'm happy we decided to um, join an accelerator, join Techstars, because that has really come very, that was how, how we met. And I've met a lot of great people through Techstars. When we did our seed round last year, uh, it happened so quickly because of Techstars. Uh, we were one of the companies that was selected in my cohort that Techstars did a follow-on round on um, after their initial um, investment. Um, so yeah, I, I think any startup, any young company that is looking you know, to really you know, create a Midas touch or, uh, or some kind of leverage on a, a, an experience base that an accelerator will give, I think you should not shy away from it. Uh, and if you don't get in immediately or after several attempts, my advice is don't give up. Um, you know, build the traction, we'll continue working on the business and let that be what you can then use to make it happen. So I think three very uh, clear points as takeaways. Network, leverage, and don't give up, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of times, uh, and, and all three of them, I think uh, it, it, it goes uh, very deeply to the, the founder because you, you anyways have don't, you don't have anything to lose. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the fact that you have chosen entrepreneurship rather than having a, a safety net in terms of a nine-to-five job, it's, being an entrepreneur is, is anyways a risk, right? I mean, if you have taken mm -hmm. that risk, you may as well be shameless and you should know what to ask because a mm -hmm. lot of times you will have access to to network to people uh, information that you can you can leverage but if you don't know how to do it uh, uh, you might have the best of people in front of you and uh, you might just have a conversation and and not even know what to ask uh, you might just expect that someone writes you a check if you're lucky but i think getting mm -hmm. into an accelerator is not just about the the check that you get at the end of the day I mean, that, mm -hmm. is, that is kind of good. I mean, money in the bank is always good. But I think mm -hmm. getting access to that network, being able to leverage, uh, whether it is the peer community, whether it is, I mean, getting into a program like Techstars, it is access not just to the Techstars Toronto, but I think the, the multiple Techstars cohorts that have run in the past, current ones, I think it's a, it's a much broader network which you can leverage in, in different ways. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the power of, of community in, in more than one way. And, and a lot of good accelerators, um, I think one thing which is, which is common, which makes them kind of uh, take or succeed is being able to build that community of founders. And there's always a kind of uh, giving back. And, and that's why I think give first as, a, as an ideology, uh, it, it kind of resonates even with, with someone like us as, as Hindsight Ventures and, and Techstars always talks about founders first. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it really uh, tells anyone who's listening as to why they should kind of apply into an accelerator program. It's not just about the money, but a lot of intangibles, which goes a long way in, in building successful companies. So with that, I, I come to the last question today. Uh, what's, what's next for, uh, what's next for you guys? Okay. Um, we are in a very, very interesting time for the company. Um, and um, like I said, uh, Rent Small Small has had, um, Rent Small Small as a product of Small Small has had uh, about five years of, you know, really just trying to penetrate the market, um, really solve the core of the rental challenges. But that has also now birthed a new product that we call Buy Small Small. 
And uh, what we want to do with Buy Small Small is provide our access to housing um, from a point of ownership, you know, and um, because um, that force as now we've seen it as a bigger problem um, from a place of moving from traditional to a, a, to a new generation of how we do housing. And what that means is that, um, you know, we need to create new types of landlords uh, that can, you know, start investing in real estates, whether they are own, buying their own home to live in or they are buying their second home to, you know, put in the rental market and are very much open to collecting their rent monthly um, because uh, we are even enabling and facilitating that ownership for them. And, you know, so with Buy Small Small now, uh, we've sold about 100 property, 100 units um, in the last one year that we we launched um you know and uh, we have uh, a lot of um people on, on our on our list that wants to own uh, and one of the way to that we were democratizing that now in order to speed up um you know the process of ownership is through co-ownership um co-ownership not everybody will have the required um you know twenty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars as down payments um, to access uh, financing, either mortgage or whatever, right? Uh, because mortgage in itself is, is another big challenge in, in Nigeria and many, and many other parts of Africa. So while we are trying to solve for alternative mortgage, uh, what can we do to democratize access to homeownership or help people to start their homeownership journey? And that's why we launched uh, under Buy Small Small, the co-ownership or fractional ownership. And with that, people can buy shares in a property for as low as about $10, $20 and continue to acquire those shares over a period of time, uh, maybe one to four years, and then at some point convert those shares uh, as down payment um, to take interest in an entire property, whether a one bedroom, two bedroom, or three bedroom, and we facilitate all of that, you know. And uh, I mean, one of the way we also do this is um, they ask the properties we onboard under co-ownership, um, you know, it's not a, it's not done through crowdfunding. So this is not a crowdfunding um, thing. This is we go allowed to acquire these properties uh, in a way to. Um, provide a safety net, safety net that when people are, are coming to co-own on these units, they are coming with some level of confidence that, okay, um, you know, these are existing properties. I'm not going to lose my money and I can actually journey, you know, uh, down the line, um, be able to have what it, um, the requirement to own an entire property. Uh, and we also onboard partners like, um, in, in, um, what was it called, trustee company that provide trust, uh, trustee for this asset so that they are not even kept by us. Um, they are held by the trustee and pro protect the interest of people that co-own these properties, right? So that is what we are doing. And, and it's a big one. We just launched it a few months ago. And um, in fact, we just went into market last month, just kind of start putting it out there. And people are buying shares at alarming rates right now. Um, you know, I was in Nigeria uh, for just about a few days last week uh, just to speak at an event. And we sold out um, shares in, in that event. And, you know, so um, I mean, this, that's we're very excited about this because it really just means that we can democratize homeownership. We can, we can, it's small, small. This is the small, small story that you don't have to have all the money in this world. 
<laughs> this is really the small small that you can start small you can start and, with ten dollars twenty dollars yeah and and today, I mean, when, when you talk of uh, fractional ownership i mean it's uh, i mean uh, alternate investments or or from diversifying your your investment portfolio i think uh, while in emerging markets i think solving for owning the first home is a is a is a problem of yesterday and a problem of today when you talk of fractional ownership and having real estate as your second home or third home and when you bring in fact fractional ownership into that i think you definitely will will see uh, appreciation of those assets and those are smart investments i mean uh, when when you invest in properties which are being built today i mean 5 years from now 3 years from now whatever uh, if you kind of make smart decisions in the kind of units and blocks that you're you're probably helping people own fractionally uh, i think many of them might own it fractionally but they will make enough and more money to actually own the entire block at at some point in time so yes, i think what absolutely. you're doing with with small small is is massive i mean you're doing prop tech but but also if you look at it from a investment tech or or wealth tech you you definitely mm-hmm. will will help many people become rich and richer and own many more uh, pieces of land or or property in in lagos and in in nigeria so so kudos to all the work that you're doing it was a wonderful conversation and and lot of insights that came out of that uh, let me just open up the floor for at least one question because we are well past the the one hour time limit if anyone has a question you can raise your hand to speak and i'll i'll bring you on on the stage no questions so so today i'll i'll just kind of say a big thank you to you uh, okay we have emmanuel go for it emmanuel Yes, hello, Ajay. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're audible. You can speak. Great. Uh, so, today my question is: uh, <clears throat> As you are developing, I know and I got to understand that you started as rent small, small. How were you able to know? Okay, this is your MVP. This is a time that you hit your MVP with a market. How how did you identify that? Okay, so. um again those kind of things are things that without getting out there you would never know so uh which i i shared my story and one of the thing i said in my story is that um you know one of the big lesson i learned earlier on it was don't try and build everything at once just you know whatever you have as long as it can allow people to engage with the product uh, uh and be able to carry out um you know patronize your carry out um you know um um business do business with you in the brs form i think it's a good start um it's a good start it doesn't mean that having a very bad bad product that people can cannot use as long as people can use it in the brs form i think that's all that is needed for you to 
get in the market and have a feel of what the market is saying about you. So uh, for me, on uh, or for us at Small Small, there are two sides to the coin, right? Um, you know, because as a marketplace, you have on one side you have the landlords, and the other side you have the tenants. Um, so um, on the tenant side. Uh, we started getting, you know, uh, people sign up that, oh, they're interested, they love, they want to pay their rent monthly and all of that. And that builds up quickly. On the landlord side, because it's a new idea, you know, um, uh, the barrier was really high, um, getting onboarding landlords and all of that. You know, so what I did was, um, you know, I, I had a two bedroom, I had a spare room in my two bedroom. I, I put it on the platform within, you know, hours, uh, it got rented. And then with that one bed rented unit, I packaged the story as a success story of some sort. And you need to be able to know how to tell your story. I think that's one thing uh, entrepreneurs also need to learn because um, it, you don't have to lie and you shouldn't lie, but you should be able to you should be able to tell your story in a way that says that okay, you have something going. So I packaged this the this story of being able to rent out one unit and gotten a landlord, which happened to be me in that case, and then engaging another landlord that had several units and saying that oh, we uh, this is what we've done, um, you know, on, on come on board and you know you'll be better off. And then he came on board and that would pretty much set us up. So we just pretty much took our success to every success story, every new landlord that we onboarded, we took it to the next landlord as a success story. And that really helped us. So like I said, you can't know all these things until you're out there. Uh, you can't know all this. I mean, you can set, set um, milestones. You can set um, your what your targets are to really kind of give you indication of your metrics, uh, of where you want to be and all of that. Um, but every product is different. Every industry is different. And uh, you need to be able to understand what industry you're playing it. Uh, do you have enough time to wait it out uh, in the industry you are playing it, uh, playing with? If you, you are not successful within 12 months or you don't have enough um, you know, support within 12 months, would you still be able to survive? Even you as a founder, uh, if you are a family man, you have kids, would you be able to sustain your family? I haven't spent all your money to bootstrap uh, without getting any investment. So all those are tough questions one need to answer in on this journey. So, yeah. Tunde, thank you so much for for responding to the question so elaborately, and it was it was a wonderful uh, freewheeling conversation. A lot of insights, not just about business, but but overall about the the way you think as a as a professional, as an entrepreneur. And a lot of insights. I mean, uh, again, it, it depends on on the, the 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 listener or the the one tuning in, how they kind of uh, take it, absorb it. But a lot of fundamentals or building blocks of of building a company it doesn't matter whether someone is building for prop tech or or whatever. I think a lot of things that you spoke about, uh, there were good fifteen to twenty uh, nuggets of information that one can pick on, and uh, it would answer a lot of questions for them in their journey of of building a successful company. With that, I'd like to say a, a thank you to you. Uh, it's been wonderful hosting you. And to our to our listeners and anyone who is tuning in on this, on our Spotify channel, uh, Founders 52 is all about bringing entrepreneurs like Tunde on the platform, getting them to share uh, their journey, uh, not just of, of building uh, the company that they are, 
but also sharing their their perspectives as as an entrepreneur as a professional as an individual because a lot of these things uh, is what ultimately shapes uh, other people's kind of dreams helps them kind of take that next step and founders 52 is all about sharing those stories so that there are more entrepreneurs building in africa for africa and and it's it's kind of going to be uh, good for for everyone whether in terms of someone who is building the venture whether it's in terms of uh, creating jobs and opportunities whether it is local and regional economic development i think entrepreneurship is the is the way forward and that's why whichever country you are in uh, governments are, are are trying to do their best to to support entrepreneurs or entrepreneurship because that's the the future of uh, economic development so thank you tunde for for the time and and look forward to hosting uh, any of the any of the listeners who is here live or anyone tuning in every wednesday 9 pm east africa time we have an episode of uh, founders 52 going live on on twitter space it's about sharing journeys of of entrepreneurs so that we can support and enable the the local ecosystem building in africa for africa with that i'd like to sign off thank you so much have a nice evening all right thank you everyone yeah.